entrepreneurism or just generally thinking outside of the box comes naturally to some people. For most though, it's a learned skill. And I don't care if my kids own their own business someday, but I do want them to have the kind of mindset that comes along with being an entrepreneur. Today's guest has this in his DNA. His great grandfather got into welding and manufacturing, which eventually led to the family business he grew up in. All the lessons that were taught to him over the years, he's now passing on to his kids. Our families are connected through the small town in Oregon where we grew up, and his family's business employed me and three of my brothers growing up. They are an awesome family, lifelong friends. You're going to love today's show. Welcome to the Socks and Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Ditto. Let's go. My guest today grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. They had a truck bed manufacturing and heavy equipment company in a small town in central Oregon. Today, he owns several businesses, an all-state insurance agency in Westland and in Oregon City, Oregon. And his new endeavor is a wellness spa called Ziva Wellness. Welcome to the studio, Sam Workman. Thank you. Glad to have you, Sam. Thanks Thanks for dropping by. From 600 miles away or whatever, right? Yeah, like like you said earlier, it's the new normal. Yes. Yep. We uh, we got to try and figure out how to connect with people uh, without actually inhaling their droplets, apparently. <laughs> Speak softly. Stop speaking so moistly. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you got to dry up your words a little bit, man. That's right. That's right. So Sam, one of the, so, so just a little backstory. Um, Sam and I know each other because we grew up in the same small town in central Oregon, Prineville, Oregon, which if you've ever heard of Prineville, you know that it is the home of Les Schwab tires. Uh, It's big cattle country. And, uh, and we both graduated from Crook County high school. That's right. Go Cowboys. That's right. Cowboy pride. Uh, Sam was uh, two grades ahead of me, three grades ahead of me. When you were a senior, Sam, I was a freshman. Yep. And uh, our families were pretty close. We, they, they are. Um, I think our dads are just a couple days apart as far as age goes. And your your dad was able to get my dad to start learning more about vacation time. And that, <laughs> that, that was a big blessing to my family. So it's good. Uh, I'd never heard that before. That's funny. You're, you know, your family is, you know, when you're running a small business, a multi-generation operation, and you got lots of family members tied to it, you, uh, you, you really are pretty heavily focused on taking care of your family and the people around you. Yep. I don't know that my dad ever took a, like a week long vacation to go out with the Boy Scouts or anything until your dad came along and they started doing the hikes together and all that sort of stuff. And it was good. We took, a, we took a rafting trip um, when I was probably 14 or 15, um, and your dad came along. Uh, we went to the St. Joe up in uh, the panhandle of Idaho, and it was, yeah. it was probably one of the best. It's still today one of the best memories as far as outdoor adventure trips that I've ever been on. It was spectacular. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I want to start, Sam. Um, you know, your family, your family is multi-generation in the entrepreneurial, you know, business ownership deal. Um, the, the company that, that you guys were running when we knew, you know, when we lived in Prineville was Workman and Sons. Um, mm-hmm. and, 
And in my family, we love seeing your truck beds drive around. Um, they say the workmen on the side or on the mud flaps. And uh, in my family, we'll take pictures of it on our cell phones and, you know, and send it to each other and be like, ah, I saw a workman bed today. And uh, I, I have people send them to me all the time. Like, hey, look at this one. Like people in Missouri and stuff will send them to me. So it's yeah. it's super cool. Um, yeah. And and so I don't know if you know this, but my very first job um, your dad, Kurt, hired me and Logan, my older brother, to pull weeds in the, you know, in the steel field uh, in the dead of summer. And, yep. and and I tell people all the time it was it was the worst job ever. And I could not have been happier to have that job because your dad was yep. paying me four dollars and twenty five cents an hour, which was four dollars and twenty five cents more than my dad would pay me to do anything. So that was my first job as well. And I got paid 25 cents an hour for it. Oh, man, so I should have my... told you that. <laughs> You're going to file we for were, lost wages. We... Well, we were probably not even worth the 25 cents. So you know. I, I guarantee but... you I was not worth 425. But uh, but boy, it was it was a great experience. And and your dad and your grandpa and your uncle and you and your brother um, were all just really good examples to us. So. Tell us, tell us a little bit of the history of that company and where it came from and, and kind of how it shaped family culture for you. Okay. Um, well, my great-grandfather, it started with my great-grandfather, who was Thomas Levitt Workman. And um, he started as a blacksmith in Canada. Um, I don't know when. I mean, I, I'll have to look up the exact date. I'll send you a photo on it. But um, like probably in the late 1800s is when the is when the photo was taken but um and then they started um they started tl workman and sons in uh, 1942 they had to get a um a ticket a ration ticket to be able to buy the first welder that they had um and because because of world war ii was going on so you couldn't just go buy a welder if you were wanting to build hot rods or hobby shop stuff you had to prove that you were doing something to help the the war effort and so what you, so, so you would the, uh, you would apply for this like permit essentially to be able to buy the industrial equipment yeah yeah so and, and I don't I don't know how that whole process went but um as far as getting it but I I they my dad still has that original welder it's like a it's like a family heirloom at this point and uh, I think it's called, I, I think the brand of it is Glenn Roberts and it's like right on the, right on there, but does it still work? Um, oh yeah. still works. I mean, you, and you can plug it's, it's cool enough that you can plug it into a dryer vent at your house. I mean, it's, it's that basic that you can just plug it in and, and it'll well make your electricity bill go up, but, um, <laughs> but they, so they had to, they had to get a ration ticket to be able to get the first welder that they had. They were, um, um, so that that was in 42, but they, um, they were doing like farm machinery repairs and building hydraulic equipment to be able to grow food, you know, which helps the war machine at the time. But, um, and it was my grandfather, his dad, and, and one of my grandfather's brothers, um, involved in it. And that was in, uh, Woodburn, Oregon. They, they grew it from there. Oh, and my grandfather, he would work the full shift at, um, at the Tom Levitt 
uh, Workman and Sons, and then he would go up to the Portland shipyards and help build ships for the for the war, basically as a as a night shift um, while that was going on. And and he would do yeah. that because the family's business wasn't it wasn't making money yet, or. Um, no, I think it was probably making money, but it was, he could make more money by working two jobs. I mean, yeah. it was, and it was, he, he's a depression era kid yeah. that, you know, when, when he was growing up and, um, they could use the money and, and there was a lot of work to be done and he would, you know, he was a welder, so he could go and build ships, um, and make money, you know? So, yeah. um, and, and we've got the, I've heard some, just some crazy stories about some of the the stuff that he was building up in the shipyards, you know, just working on big, thick chunks of steel. And, you know, he was, he was a good worker. So it was, it was good for him. And he was, um, he was exempt from the, from the war. Who remember his arm? Um, oh yeah. He had that broken arm. That's right. So, yeah. So he couldn't go into the war um, because of that. But um, my, the, my great grandfather, um, Tom, he passed away, um, at a fairly young age. Um, and then it became, you know, my, my grandpa ran the business. Um, and then in 71, my grandpa, um, had a bad heart, uh, and they gave him about, I think six months to live in 1971 of all things. No kidding. And, yeah. And so, so they, um, they shut down the business in Woodburn. They they sold all of the the buildings, the assets, and everything. And that's when he moved to Central Oregon because he wanted to live out the rest of his days cattle ranching. So he bought um, he bought a big chunk of acreage up there in Powell Butte, um, and most of his kids, well, a bunch of his kids uh, went with him. He had young kids in the house and. Um, they all moved to Powell Butte and after a couple years of not dying and I don't know the cat, I, I don't know exactly why they sold the cattle ranch, but he didn't die. So they sold it, but they sold it off and he did well on selling it. My dad went back from, from central Oregon, moved back to the Willamette Valley and just got a job at another manufacturing place. And still after a few more years in 77, he still hadn't died. So he told my grandma, <laughs> I love, I love this. He, yeah. he still hadn't died. So he's like, he well, died, I yeah. guess I should do kind something of, productive. <laughs> yeah. He wanted to do something productive. So in 77, he told my grandma, Hey, we're going to start just a small shop, a couple of guys. And he called my dad and said, Hey, do you want to come back? And we'll start a little shop. And my grandma could see, you know, oh, this is going to be, a nightmare, you know, it, which it, you know, it turned out to be what it was, but not a nightmare, but was he, he Sam was the experience of the, the business prior to that. Was it a good experience? Was it? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good experience, but, and I, and I don't say a nightmare, but she could, she could see that we don't do anything small, right? you know? So him promise her and they're like, no, no, it's just going to be a little, little operation. No big deal. Um, but he called my dad back and, you know, my dad was just working like swing shift or whatever. And I said, Hey, why don't we, why don't we open this again? So in 77, they, they opened back up there in Prineville and it was a little machine shop. It kind of a funny story. There were already two welding shops in Prineville and the city 
planners or the permit people basically said, no, Ben, we don't need a third welding shop. There's not enough business. And, you know, it was a big logging town at the time. So they were going to be doing repair work and stuff. And, um, but they said, sorry, we're not going to let you build a welding shop. No permits, no building permits for that front, that main building that they had, you know? So my grandpa, the stubborn guy he is said, okay, it's still on farmland. We'll take a barn permit. How much does a barn permit cost? And so they built that first, I think it's probably 50 foot by 150 foot building. Um, and they, you know, it's all steel structure with overhead cranes and wired it in for uh, 480 electricity as a barn, it, just a cattle, a cow barn. <laughs> and they, the most uh, you know, robust the, cow barn in the history of the United yeah, States. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a great cow barn. And the, the permit guys, when they would come out and do the inspection, they're like, all right, Ben, this is, and they, they knew him for, he'd been there for long enough that they knew who he was, but they're like, all right, this is quite the barn. He's like, yep, it's a barn. They finished building it. He says he walked a cow through it, got some manure on the ground, and then they started moving in the welding machinery. This so, is, this is, I mean, when, when you talk about entrepreneurs and you talk about people who are like, this is what I want to do, and I'm just going to go figure out a way to do it. I mean, this is how they do it. I mean, yeah. you, you think about how many people were like, I'd really like to start this business or that business. And, and, and the first hurdle they run into, it's like, well, I can't get a permit, so I can't do it, you yeah. know? And, and guys, you know, guys like you and your dad and your grandpa and your family, it, it's just like, okay, how do I get over this annoying hurdle? I'm just going to figure it out. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So they, they, they built, they started in 71 with just a couple of guys doing repair work for the sawmills and the logging industry. Um, my grandfather, when they were in the woodburn days, he was building the hydraulic, the dump mechanism for the farm beds. He had a, a couple of patents on that sort of thing. Um, they just, they started building them again in Prineville, a di different design. Um, so they were building they just, truck beds in the Willamette Valley prior to this. Yes. Yep. And the hydraulic equipment and, and that sort of thing. Um, gotcha. And they just, they, they grew it and grew it. Um, probably about the time you were working there pulling weeds was when they, was that in the early nineties? Yeah, that must, I was 14. So that must've been 1995. The summer of 95 would have been, would have been when I worked there. Okay. That's probably about the time that they were running a swing shift. And I think they had in that mid nineties, they had about 106 employees, wow. which was a, about a about hundred more than what he originally promised my grandma. <laughs> your grandma's, all of your grandma's intuition was like, I told you, I told you guys couldn't yeah. do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, she was, she was just a wonderful lady and she just kind of like, yeah, it is what it is. And, and she, um, they would invite her out to come take pictures of some big project they built, some big dump truck with a trailer behind it, or just something real impressive that, or that we were impressed with. And, she would come out, look at it, take a couple photos and say, all right, you're going to be home for dinner on time. I mean, she, it, it was just, that was just what they were doing. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and so, along the way, so was in that, the, in the very, Sam, was that the peak uh, over a hundred employees? Was that kind of the peak operation time? Yeah. Um, and I, I think my dad has said that, that that was just too many. I mean, it was too many people for him to keep track of. 
Um, I mean, it, it came with its own batch of problems, you know, and he, I mean, he had managers helping him with it. He had some professional um, business managers involved by that point, but it was just, it was too much, you know, it was too many people. It, it wasn't an efficient machine at that point, but. I mean, that must've made, that must've made um, Workman and Sons, one of the larger employers in Prineville, aside Prineville from the mills and the were. school and the government. I mean, you guys must've been one of the biggest employers in town. I had no idea. Yep. And, and I think, I think they had to, um, they worked with the banks at the time, like one of the banks asked them to change their payroll date because or like day of the week, because it was a bigger deal for that. Like my grandpa had this thing about, he wanted to pay people on Monday rather than Friday. So they didn't go blow all their paycheck at the bar. He wanted them and, to show up to work on Monday. <laughs> yes. Yes. He wanted them to show up to work on Monday rather than, rather than being hung over or whatever. And um, but the, it didn't work for the banks. Like they had to overstaff on Monday for everybody coming to pay. Yeah. I mean, 106 employees isn't really that many, but for a small town, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know? yeah so, oh yeah, for sure. Prineville is not that big and, uh, yeah. that makes it, that makes a significant employer. Okay. Very cool. And so, so what was your role growing up in the business? Um, I pulled weeds for a while, uh, for a couple, you know, for, for a number of years. Um, I had a high school job at a camera store. Um, I mean, just because it was heavy industry, there wasn't a lot of, well, there wasn't a lot of things for a kid to do. I mean, you know, you know, I got hurt really bad there. Oh yeah. That was, that you got was, run over by a forklift. Yeah. That was, that was That's like right. the year. Maybe the, did you guys come? Yeah. You guys came the year after I got hurt, I think. Yes. Boy, I totally so, forgot about that. That was a huge deal. Yeah. It, yeah. It, still a big deal in my life, but, um, but, uh, just because it's heavy industry, I should, I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing, you know, there, <laughs> but, but you know, when you're the, I mean, he couldn't employ anybody other than his own kid to be doing what I was doing, right. you know? Um, but uh, so I took, I took a job just with um, a camera store when I was in high school, mostly because there wasn't a lot that I could do there, you know, and, and get away with it. But we always, we were always there on weekends, Saturday. I mean, I have a lot of scars from weekend projects and lots of stitches and stuff, but as far as actively working there, it was, it was a little bit sticky because of like my injuries and stuff. I mean, I was always there for the summer times, but it was just limited as you might expect, but yeah, for sure. You know, but we, when you're a workman kid, you learn how to weld when you're like seven or eight. And that was what you did on Saturdays because my dad was there just working on his projects or repair stuff, even though there wasn't a crew there on Saturday. So the fun thing to do is go weld with dad and, you know, we made tons of scrap metal just out of other scrap metal, you know, building big, big hunks of junk. But, um, I, uh, one of our, one of our favorite welding stories, I mean, I'm sort of, I guess not really a welding per se story, but, um, we were, it was a huge deal in our family cause we were scheduled to go to Disneyland. I don't know if, I don't know if you know this story or if you remember this, but so, so, and I'm one of seven kids, as you know, and we have this suburban that seats nine people 
And the next day we were scheduled to go drive down to Southern California. And we'd never done anything like this. We'd never been to Disneyland. Like our trips were, you know, you know, we're camping and stuff like that. That's what we did growing up. So this was a huge deal for our family. Well, <clears throat> that day, my brothers uh, were changing the springs on the Suburban um, to get them ready to go. And, and Logan and Birch and Brent spent hours and they could not get one of the bolts off or a couple of the bolts off. I mean, for hours and hours and hours. And it was like midnight and, uh, and we we're supposed to leave first thing in the morning and, and finally my dad was like, I don't know what else to do. Let's call Kurt. And, uh, and your dad showed up with some kind of, you know, cutter or welder or whatever and, uh, and helped cut those bolts off and, you know, and in true, in true workman fashion, you know, he just showed up with a smile and with his equipment and, uh, you know, and was, you know, was just acted like it was no problem to him to show up and help us. And anyway, your, your dad and your family, they just you know, you have the perfect last name because that was, that's what we remember of you guys. You just, you just were workers. You were always busy working on stuff. If you got the right tools though, you're the guy to call. And I still <laughs> get that in West Lynn, you know, like Sam's got tools. Let's call Sam. <laughs> yep. Yep. I believe it. It's a blessing and a curse, man. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I didn't get really involved you know, other than just the weekends and stuff, I didn't get really involved until I came back from Australia um, from my mission. They put me in the, you know, I, I did a, a while of just kind of odds and ends I, working in, in a couple different departments, helping build dump truck parts. And, you know, and then eventually um, there was a, there was a space for me in sales along with my brother. Um, he was in the sales department and he, he had some special project stuff that he was working on for the, for the plant and, um, and just picked up from there. And Sonny and I um, formed a partnership with my dad. We kind of set up a side business that was the sales um, side of the business. And Sonny and I just kind of expanded from there into the other projects that we've, that we've done along the way. Um, and then, um, you know, the economy ebbs and flows, you know, the, the 2001 thing was pretty hard on my dad's business. Um, it's building dump truck boxes and, and things that make roads and houses. You're, he's so tied to the housing industry or was, you know, that when they stopped building houses, they stopped needing new dump trucks or new you know, lumber hauling trucks and that sort of thing. So it kind of slowed down there for a while. And then um, in, what did I say, 2013, uh, he merged it in with the, at his current location back over here in the Willamette Valley. Um, and, and that's where they currently are now. Um, I'll back up a little bit. My grandfather didn't pass away until 2007. He said for a long time, the doctor that gave me six months died 20 years ago, you know, or, <laughs> or he outlived the doctor by 20 years, something to that effect. You know, I, I could totally and, imagine him saying that that is, yeah, took, that is spectacular took some pride in it. And, you know, he, um, were, were you still there? No, you, you weren't there by that point when he passed away, but he was a worker. I mean, he, I, I think some of it was the depression era thing in him, but, 
he was sick for a long time, both his heart and his, you know, and, and his arm um, that he had the problem with. But when he wouldn't feel good, like whether his heart was trying to fail on him or whatever, he'd put his overalls on and go back to work and he would maybe not feel better, but it would get his mind off of it. And he'd just keep going to work, keep going to work. And my dad would always ask him, like, how are you feeling today? Because you could tell just in the, the soreness on his face that he hurt. And he would always tell my dad, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, just every single time. And enough so that my dad had them go back after the fact and put that on his headstone. Like, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. You know, when I, uh, when I think of your grandpa, like I can so vividly see him in my mind, you know, and he's wearing these ratty coveralls, you know, and, uh, and they're, overalls. and they're, yep. they're greasy. Overalls. Yep. And they're dirty. And, uh, and he's got his hat on. And, uh, you know, and I mean, it's just funny. And, and your, your, the, the workman jeans are short and stocky. And I mean, I can just, I can just see him. I can, I can, I can still visualize him walking around the plant. And, uh, anyway, he was, he was a great man. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they had put him on hospice years before and they're like, just slow down you know, and just, and they, they kept, they, they would drug him up, you know, and he told my dad a couple of times, like the drugs make me feel sick. And my dad would say, well, do, do you like, you know, is it worse without the drugs? Would you rather hurt or would you rather feel sick? And he'd say, I'd, I'd rather hurt. So he took himself off of hospice, put his overalls back on and went to work for a couple more years and I think he took off his overalls the last time about two or three weeks before he passed away. And um, when he was not quite all the way awake, um, he was giving his wife kind of instructions like, hey, tell Kurt those gears need to be done. And she'd say, okay, Ben, okay, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell. And it was all, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, whatever he was saying. And I, I went and visited him with, when he was, um, uh, when he was almost gone and, you know, I, I had worked with him at that point from, for, you know, all of my life, but I was helping him with projects and repair work and stuff, but he, you know, he, he had his, uh, bib overalls and he kept all of his tools in that front pocket, you know, his calipers and pencils and stuff. And you could see him almost in a coma reaching for his calipers. Cause he was going to measure something with his, whatever he's talking about. He, I mean, it was just, it was in his blood yeah. to, to work. So, so uh, I'd, I'd love for you to talk a second about, you know, this, this legacy of, of entrepreneurism and thinking outside the box. And, and did you, I mean, did you realize growing up that, that you were learning these really valuable lessons in entrepreneurism and hard work, or was that, was that a realization that came later? I mean, I guess what I mean is when, when I was around your family, you, especially you and your dad and Sonny, you guys were always talking about business ideas. You were talking about, you know, water trucks with the forest service or, you know, your sales, or, you know, we're now going to make, make this new gizmo or, you know, and those weren't the conversations that we were having in my family. Um, we didn't talk about starting new businesses and we didn't talk about, you know, how to create the next thing, but it is so ingrained in your growing up. I mean, you're, you're, 
you know, you're essentially fourth generation entrepreneur, you know, as we, as we look at that. I, I don't, I don't know that I was new. I don't know that I recognized that we were growing, growing up. I don't think I recognized that that's what we were learning. It, you know, we were just a self-employed family and a lot of it was rural Oregon. You try and figure out a new thing. And, and I think some of it um, comes from, you know, my dad's business was building stuff, building anything, whatever it was, you know, somebody could bring him something and say, can you fix this? Um, it was always, yes, we can fix it. And they would figure out a way to fix it. And, or can you build X, Y, Z? Yeah, we can build that. And they, they would go and kind of figure out how, you know, how they were going to build it. And I, and I have some, some fun memories just of being a kid. And even, even when I did come back, um, after, uh, being in Australia, um, going on long ish, you know, long drives with my dad to Portland or Spokane or whatever, to go and look at somebody's project that they want, they wanted something new to help their thing work better, whether, whether it was a fancy trailer or just whatever it was. And he'd go, he'd, we'd drive up and look at their, their machinery and they'd say, here's what we want it to do. And my dad would figure out how to do that. And I think the putting businesses together just goes along with that. Like, you know, the water trucks that we put together for the forest service, that was just a byproduct of, we built, we build machinery you know, and we build, we build water trucks for other people. We build dump trucks for, well, and the water trucks were a side note from the dump trucks and the flatbeds, you know, right. it was like, okay, yeah. now we're going to build some water trucks. It wasn't a main product line, but my brother and dad and I saw like, Hey, we can go make some money. If we put one of these together, cut ourselves a sweet deal on the water tank along the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and you, and you're, you're all of a sudden you're in business just by, like, hey, we can we can do this, and in, and a lot of the things just were, we can see that there's money to be made. Let's figure out how to how to put it together. It's interesting because you grew up thinking that way, and I have, you know, I, I I'm trying to teach myself to think that way, and and especially when it comes to talking about risk, you know, one you know, with your family, it was like, okay, the economy is now changing. So we're going to have to figure out another way to provide and do things. And, and so, so your family, you know, kind of, kind of started going in different directions a little bit. Um, but just more, more businesses, more entrepreneurial stuff. And, And here you are today, not making truck beds, doing something completely different. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you told me, if you told me, that Sam Workman was going to have a day spa at some point, I'd have been like, not, I don't think so. That guy welds and plays with grease. <laughs> if you, if I would have, if somebody would have told me 12 years ago that I would be an in insurance living in the Portland Metro area, I would have said you were crazy. <laughs> You're like, like, no, I'm from Prineville, man. I don't, that's right. <laughs> I have I no business do, being in West Lynn. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't do, I don't do insurance and I don't do big city, you know, big cities, but mm-hmm. yeah. How does this affect your culture now with your family, your wife and your kids? Um, you know, this this heritage of entrepreneurism. What is, you know, what what kind of conversations do you have with your kids? How are you passing on this, you know, this information? My wife is not a big risk taker. Um, and she's she has worried about our businesses for um 
forever, you know, we've been married 21 years and it, it probably went for a decade or more that she would ask me, are you getting a paycheck this week? And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and it became a, it, it became a joke because she was serious. Like, are, but I got a, I got a regular paycheck every single week, but she would ask for years and years, like, are you getting a paycheck? We never missed one. So I wasn't sure why it was a concern for her. You know, she and I come from different backgrounds and, um, and the risk I feel the risk, you know, and I've asked my dad um, multiple times, like, how did you deal with it for, you know, how did you cope or how did you put up with the, because there's stress. I mean, there's stress about figuring out um, how to grow the business when things change, you know, even in the insurance office, like trying to figure out how to, how to expand, how to grow um, employee issues, that sort of thing. But you know, and I'd go, I'd, I still go to him and ask him, like, how do you, how did you or how do you manage the stress? And he's like, yeah, it's there. Just, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have a good answer because it's just part of what we do is you just, there, there's a, there's a risk in starting any business or growing any business. And, you know, there's, there's sleepless nights sometimes or early mornings where you can't sleep because, and, and maybe it's not just the risk that, that is out there, but it's the, the nonstop projects that you have to move along down the road or in the insurance office, I worry about other people's insurance in the middle of the night. It's the stupidest thing, but <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll, I'll think about a certain client, like, oh my gosh, they never responded to that. And they have, they have this risk out there that we haven't been able to protect yet. I don't think that my employees have that same concern, you know, out there as far as, um, as far as the business goes, but as far as managing at home, our conversations are, are different at home today. And, and I think that today than they were when I was a kid. I mean, my kids know that we're self-employed. They, they pay attention to, to what, we're, you know, what we're doing at the insurance office. They, they know that when we went from one location to two locations, that was a big deal for us it, because we had, we had wanted to get a second location and to, to expand our business for years, wanted to get that approval um, from from the corporate office to buy another agency. So they were they saw that the planning and the goal making paid off. And then um, a short time after that, I uh, went to three offices, and the kids were like, "Wow, you know, three offices. This is a bigger deal." And then we we sold the third office after about a year. I mean, it was an intentional. It, it was an intentional plan, but my kids were concerned that we had sold a business. Like, what, what's wrong? Why we don't sell businesses? We just make more businesses. And like, they, like what happened, no, Dad? What's wrong? Yeah, Should we be yeah, worried? What's wrong? <clears throat> yeah. What well, you know? Why why are you selling this business? And, and there was some concern for a short time. We're like, no, no. This this was part of the you know this is part of the plan. It was a good thing. You know it, and it, it was the right thing to do. And and we, we went back to two offices, and and it was good. But we try to we try hard to teach our kids it, the same lessons that I learned. Um, it's a little bit different because we don't have a factory to take them to on a weekly basis. You know, um, my son, um, well, all three of my kids, we bought them gumball machines at a, a real young age. Um, 
and we set them up around town and, you know, we got permission from some of the business owners to put them up and, um, and that that's fun it, with the pandemic. They're not, they're not earning any bank off of them. There's nobody walking into the stores, but it's, it's fun to take my son out and, you know, we collect the quarters out of them and I make him run it like a business. You know, we take all the quarters out, we go and we go buy new candy to load it with. And I take out the, the money from the candy. He's got to donate a certain percentage to charity. Um, and I actually make them double that just cause I'm that kind of guy. Like if it's supposed to be 10%, you give another 10% to, yeah. we do, we, we donate to the perpetual education fund and I always make him do an extra 10% there. And awesome. Um, but he, you know, he, he gets the, what I'm trying to do. I think that we're trying to show him to go and it's not a hustle really, but you know, he's going, he's, he sees that we've got product that we have to replace, get to keep a little bit of it for yourself as a profit. Um, I do things with him. Like, um, I can't remember where they earned some extra cash here just recent recently. I try to get them to not let it burn a hole in their pocket. And I told him, okay, you've got, he had about 50 bucks or whatever. I said, if you can hold it till a certain date in your savings account, I'll double your money. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it, it was a back, it was a struggle for him, for him to decide whether he was going to go buy a new Lego, I, whatever it was, or double his money. And he decided to put it in the savings account and just get it off of his mind. And the date came on Halloween. And he, I mean, on that day, he was there like, Hey dad, you owe me 50 bucks. You Pay said up, you would, money bags. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, okay, come to me on Monday. I don't have it today. And you know, but, um, those sorts of lessons, um, we learned from my dad, Sonny learned them the hard way. I, I learned by watching Sonny a lot of things, but, um, <laughs> we always, we always glean a lot of really important information and what not to do by watching our older siblings and their mistakes. Yes. Yes. So, uh, a, a, a story about it with my dad and, um, and Sonny, we, we saved money for our, our mission fund. Sonny had saved a bunch of money in his savings account and wanted to buy a three-wheeler, a Honda three-wheeler. And I don't remember what, what age he was, but he went to my dad and he said, I've got money in my savings account. Can I borrow it from myself? and and then pay it back and you know Sonny was working for my dad at the time and getting getting the paycheck from my dad and my dad kind of like well you know that's that's set aside for your mission fund but if you want to borrow it you can you can borrow it and you got you have to pay yourself interest three percent interest I think it was so he's like three percent yeah that's great I'll do it that'll be easy no problem yeah no problem (laughs) Sonny went and bought the three, the, the ATV, the three-wheeler. And when it came time for the first payment, he made the payment. And my dad said, no, no, that's 3% a week. And <laughs> he's like, no, that's not what we agreed to. He's like, you didn't agree. You know, I said 3%. We didn't, you know, we didn't agree on the terms, but so, and my dad made him pay back. I mean, it was paying himself back into his mission fund, but right. my dad would get the money, I think, from the payroll before before it would hit his check and they paid it back with the 3% per week. And, you know, so I learned lessons about my loan shark of a dad first, but I mean, you know, it was for good cause and it was paying yourself back, but 
you always have to know the the details before you sign on it. And I mean, there's <clears throat> there's so many great lessons in an experience like that for a kid. You know, yeah. that the danger and the power of compounding interest of yep. of, you know, going into debt and borrowing. And and like you said, what are the terms of the contract? What are the terms? You better know before you sign that thing, buddy. Right. And, and that that's, that's uh, it's such a great story. It's such a great example of, uh, you know, of how to of how to teach kids how money works and how and how it can work for you or it can work against you. Yeah. And I, I think part of. um Part of the reason that it was such a loan shark of a deal was because it was a toy. Yeah. You know, of course, and, um, you know, we, we didn't grow up with a lot of that sort of stuff. You know, my, my grandpa had not a lot of uh, time for toys, yeah. you know, just um, it just wasn't in his wheelhouse at all to, to think about or talk about toys or play. You got spare time. Let's go do some work. Yeah. And, that was just the way he he was. Will you fill in the gap for us? So um, you're 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 home from your mission. You're working, um, you know, with your dad and your brother. But um, so, what did you do between there and and getting into the insurance business? Did you just work for the family for those ten years? Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I worked with my dad and my brother um, at the at the factory either doing sales or helping with some of the repair projects, uh, you know, that they were, um, that they were billing out for, but Sonny and I were mostly in sales and along the way we would start kind of the side businesses, um, that we talked about the water trucks. We had a couple of long haul trucks that, um, were doing like Portland to Seattle runs. Um, Sonny and I started a registered Angus, business um or business but we we went back my grandpa had farm uh land for all the time i was growing up but um they built houses on it and then in i think it was 2004 sunny and i bought our first black angus cows um and we it was a it was a partnership that we had with hank moss um he helped us with the cows and we, we grew it. Um, we were doing um, artificial insemination with them. And we, they, were, they were nice cows. Nice, um, and we bought farmland to go with it. So we just kind of expanded, expanded. Um, we had a drain cleaning company for a while, just kind of a, um, another a, a side business. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we had. But so with, just, all, with all these side hustles... I mean, was the plan to always keep them just kind of small and like spinning on the sideline or were you, were you like, I'm going to, I'm going to try this and see how it goes and maybe expand this into something bigger. Um, well, the cow, the cows started as I think five or six mother cows. And at one point we had 80. Um, I mean, it just, you just, we, we weren't trying on the cows. It was just kind of a, we like to eat beef. So we went back. I mean, it, <laughs> you're like, was, how do we bring down the cost of our own steak? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually it was, it was kind of the, the cows was started as some food storage on foot, you know, or just kind of a being prepared, you know, just as a um, self-reliant sort of move. And it wasn't, it wasn't intended on being 
anything as big as it ended up being. Okay. Um, Hank had access to some reasonably priced rented land. And so we bought a couple cows to put it on the rented land and it was just going to be just kind of this small thing, but we didn't necessarily need the money off of that venture. So we just kept dumping the profits back into either keeping cows or buying more along the way rather than taking profits home off of it, which is a good, a good place to be in the drain cleaning business. It was just kind of a, that was, we started during some of the economic downturn drain, you know, there were, there were drains always get clogged. It was just kind of a, a business to start. You know, we had somebody else, somebody that kind of talked us into not talked us into opening it, but there was a guy that was going to retire and he said, you guys should buy this and just put it as a, as a side business. And so we did the water trucks. Um, I don't know that there was any grand expansion. It's just, it, it's a very seasonal um, project, but at one point we had three or four of them um, rather than just one. And, you know, in the summer times there's construction work and there's fires. So it was, it was a good seasonal one. Yeah. Um, what is, what is, okay. So what is your philosophy about, about losing money in a business? Don't (laughs) to not to, (laughs) yeah, try, try not to, but I mean, it's, uh, I, I know, um, uh, I, my dad has a couple saying they're, they're, they're slipping away from me, but he's got a couple sayings about, you know, losing money on businesses. And I mean, it's, the, the goal is to not, obviously, but right. um, one of the things that um, that has stuck with me and that I heard my dad and my grandfather say a lot of times was, if you want a meal, if you want a full meal, I'm, I'm going to botch this, but if you want a full meal but can't afford one right now, a sandwich will do, sort of philosophy. Like, you know, yes, you want to have this great expansive empire of businesses or, you know, insurance, like my insurance office. Yeah. I want, I want a whole bunch, you know, a bigger book or a, or a uh, multiple locations or whatever, but in the meantime, take what you can and work with it. And, and I think that that's on the, um, on the side hustle sort of thing is it's important to keep doing what you're doing, what anybody is doing um, while you're getting your side hustle going until your side hustle can take over. And I, I think that's the, the you've got a sandwich here that's going to feed you and your family for right now. Keep working on the side hustle while you, you know, as a side hustle until it's big enough to become the full meal. Yeah. And cause I, I had in the, the, the backstory on it, I think, was people who had come to apply for jobs to work for my dad, and they would scoff at either the wage or the particular job, like they were above doing a particular job, or me and my brother thinking we were above doing a particular job. So you, you take what you can get and try and make ends meet and always be looking for something else to be that full meal, you know, that, that you might want. But yeah, that's that's great, man. I go ahead. Losing money on businesses sucks, though. So you've it done it. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell me about the most painful one. I I really miss the farm and the cows. That's probably the most painful one. 
um, we didn't we didn't necessarily lose our butts on them necessarily, but the the heartstrings attached to it is probably the bigger loss because I I really enjoyed being out in the farm field or working with the cows that sort of thing. Our one of our long haul trucking ventures that we had we lost money on because we were chasing repair problems with a, with a machine, you know, like the, the truck had issue. We bought a, a Peterbilt truck and we were, we were doing um, hauling from Primeville to Portland, Primeville to Seattle, and it kept breaking or it kept having issues. And we just kept like, it, it was a side hustle. So it wasn't, it wasn't our revenue to feed our families. So we're like, Oh, the truck needs new tires, put new tires on it. Maybe that'll fix it. Oh, it wasn't tires. Maybe it's the rear ends that are giving it this problem. Throw a new rear end on it. Oh, man. You know, now you're, now you're like 6,000 bucks for tires. Now you're a couple thousand bucks to do the rear ends, which fortunately we had the, we had the shop to be able to do a lot of the modifications. Right. Yeah. Then it was like, oh, now now maybe it's the transmission. Oh no! And you know, so I, so it just, you know, throwing good money after bad is always a, um, is always a, a painful event. But um, but there are lessons there. I mean, you un, undoubtedly learned really important lessons. You know, oh, yeah. through that process, you which help you in the end. Yeah, and 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 sometimes you have to learn the hard way when to cut bait, you know, like there's no way that this project is going to recoup the money, stop throwing money at it and just change gears. And we've, we've had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, it's a pretty common theme as I, as I talk to entrepreneurs and kind of, you know, perpetual business guys is this, you know, I put, I put a lot of effort into this and, and it's time to either shut it down or just, pivot its focus and do something a little bit different that makes more sense. And the willingness, the willingness to do that and understanding the timing of, you know, of when to do that can be, can be a little tricky. It it can be. And I think it's, it can be hard having an ego tied into it where like my name is on the line here or, or whatever. Like we've put all of this blood, sweat and tears into a project. It, I can't let it fail at this point. And sometimes it's beyond your control. Sometimes it's, you know, timing. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it just is what it is. And, and you've got to redirect your, not only your capital, but your time to yeah. go find something that, that will pay off. And sometimes it's a, okay, I'll come back to that project another time. Okay, Sam. So most important question of the interview is uh, what is your philosophy about socks? I'm a, I'm a huge sock guy. I love a good pair of socks for your interview. You can't see them, but I wore these, uh, these are like my industrial wool heavy. I don't know. I just imagine like working in the workman and sons shop, building truck beds with my steel toed boots. These are the socks that I would wear. These are like my warm, cold weather, industrial socks. Um, what, uh, what socks are you wearing? And, uh, and, and tell me, uh, tell me your sock story here. It's going to, it may disappoint. So <laughs> you're too busy starting um, businesses. You have time to think about socks. <laughs> no, no. I think, I think about socks and shoes, uh, fairly regularly. Um, but, um, 
I'm an office guy now. So, well, I'm a casual office guy. I'm a hoodie and t-shirt at the office guy. But um, my typical everyday socks are just Costco, like the the low profile, but they kind of keep the tension on them. Um, but shoes are a bigger deal for me because because of my oh your injury injury yeah yeah because I got uh, smashed pretty bad. I go through shoes fairly regularly, yeah. so comfortable soft sock. I mean, as soon as the socks start losing their uh, softness, I guess, or the padding in them, yeah, they're, they're they're dead to me. And shoes the same way, like. Um, I, I go through shoes. I, I wear the same pairs day in and day out, but it's like, I get new shoes probably more regularly than a lot of, uh, women do that are big <laughs> shoes. But I, well, well, but, but I, you know, I wear them out and then I, then they're done. But I, um, I, uh, I'll get a pair of shoes and I'll stick with them. Like, I'll just go buy the same, like, okay, those fit, those were real comfortable yep. and I'll wear them until they either, you know, keep buying the new set until they stop making them or they change the design. Yep. I have a, I have an Allstate friend that um, I travel with quite a bit that he and I were in Seattle for a, a regional board that we were on and we had some spare time and there was, there's a Danner, factory outlet. We were right by the Boeing factory up there in Seattle. Yeah. And we, we were just kind of, we went and had dinner and there was a Danner store and I walked in and, you know, I've got odd shaped feet because I crushed the one and I started trying on shoes and I was like, Ooh, I like that pair. And I bought, you know, and I, I haggled with the guy because I, I said, can I get these online? I'm from Oregon. I don't, you know, I don't want to pay your sales tax up here. Right. And he, he's like, ah, um, he didn't, he didn't void out the sales tax, but he gave me the Boeing union nice. discount, you know, <laughs> which offset the, offset the, the sales tax or right. whatever. <laughs> and my, and my friend, he like looked at me like, really, you're just going to come to Seattle and buy new, uh, new shoes. I'm like, shoes are my thing. You know, it's gotta be comfortable. And so not a sock story, but okay. I'll um, uh, I'll give you a little bit of a pass on the socks, well, especially with your foot injury. All right. But uh, yeah, well, and but on uh, on dress socks, I I do I do the crazy socks. You know, I've got Australian flag socks and nice. um, socks with dogs and all that sort of stuff on them. But with the pandemic, there's not much of a reason yeah. to wear them. No, so. yeah, it's true. It's true. I've always said that. If I were a really rich guy, I would only wear brand new socks because it doesn't even matter what kind they are. They could be the Costco pack, whatever. But there is something magical for me about pulling on a new pair of socks. Absolutely. And and even when the laundry is done and they're not brand new, like here's this big basket of socks. I'll sort through and find the ones that are obviously newer than the other ones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My daughter and I, she's 15, she'll turn 16 um, in January. We are putting together uh, blessing bags for homeless people. There's a lot There's a lot of homeless people in the Portland metro area. You always see them on the, the freeway on ramps or just corners or whatever. And I, tr- I always try to give them a couple of bucks, you know, and just it is what it is. You don't know what, what their issue is. 
I don't, I don't care what their backstory is or what they're going to use it for. To me, it's doing something, you know, that, that I can. But last year, my daughter started putting together these little blessing bags so that the kids in the car, you know, my kids in the car could kind of hang it out the window and give, give them something. And this just last night, we put together um, about 35 of them or whatever. And she and I went to Costco and bought um, 36 new pairs of, you know, tall, they're not, they weren't, you know, she was looking at the big winter socks at Costco and I'm like, uh, if we're going to do 30 of these, we're going to have to go with, <laughs> we have to scale it down a little bit. Yeah, gonna, yeah. And, and again, it's, it's back to the, a sandwich is better than, you know, if, if yeah. all you've got is a sandwich, take it. I told her, look, it, if we're giving socks to these people that are homeless and very needy, they're going to be really glad that they get the, you know, the tall tube socks that they feel, you know, they're going to be clean. They're going to be warm. They're yeah. going to be better than what they've got on. And anyways, so we, we were building blessing bags last night and the, the socks are a, a good timing. So that's a, that's a great idea. I mean, that you talk about a demographic that almost never gets to put on a nice new clean pair of socks. I'm sure yeah. they're just super appreciative. What a, what an awesome thing for you to do. What a great thing for your kids to see you know, in this, in this time of, you know, a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of uncertainty and, you know, ah, it's a great, it's a great thing you're doing there. And I, and I don't, I don't say it to puff our chest up or anything, but you know, socks are, socks are good. Everybody loves a good pair of socks and oh yeah, clean, clean socks are awesome. Absolutely. So. That's awesome. Very cool. Sam, I really appreciate you uh, coming and, and joining me today. It's thanks uh, for having me. It's been fun walking down memory lane. Well, this, uh, this wraps up this uh, episode of the Socks and Soul podcast with my friend Sam Workman. Um, great lessons to learn from him and his family and the way that, you know, the, the way that you're teaching your kids and the legacy that you're leaving behind and, and moving forward. So thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time. The Socks and Soul podcast is a production of Ditto Film Media. If you enjoy this content, be sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Join the conversation on Facebook at Socks and Soul Podcast.